From approximately 1977 through 1982, I attended a faith movement church in Farmer's Branch, Texas. The pastor was Robert Tilton. I thought it was great. We stood on scripture, we hunted scripture, we prayed scripture. What can be wrong with that? Well, of course, I wasn't looking for anything wrong. I thought it was wonderful. I became one of the faith teachers, was on radio from coast to coast, printed two or three little booklets with Harrison House Publishing Company, which is the Faith Movement Publishing Company. As I understand it, the movement itself was started by Kenneth Hagen in approximately 1966. It's based on a scripture in Mark which says, if you have faith, you can move mountains. Well, that's really true. So what could be wrong with this movement? Well, I never questioned it when I was in there. It seemed right to me. It even seemed right to me after I went on radio. It was a very strange thing because when I would go different places, people would say to me, I can't believe that Robert Tilton is your pastor. I loved Bob. I really did. I had the radio station manager in Pittsburgh say that to me, and that station manager really liked me. I had Vanetta Copeland say that to me, Kenneth Copeland's mother. She became a good friend of mine. I sat there among them and didn't see anything wrong. I couldn't really understand why they were concerned. We can be that way about our churches. We love our churches so much, don't we? It was my life. All my social activity was there at the church with other people who attended that church. I'm sure we felt sorry for the ones who were the Methodist and other denominations because they knew so little about the Bible. Years later, I lived in Lubbock, Texas. My neighbors across the street were Methodist, and Gordon became very ill with cancer. The Methodist ministers were always coming in there to visit him. One day, I had given him a recording of one of my radio broadcasts, and Gordon really liked it, and he gave it to one of the Methodist pastors. And the pastor brought it back and said, Gordon said, what do you think about it? And the pastor said, well, she really knows a lot of Bible. And Gordon said, uh, he asked the pastor something, and the pastor said, Oh, I don't know anything about the Bible. Incredible. I'm sure that was true. We did know a lot about the Bible. God started with me in the Old Testament, showing me what prophets do, because that's what he had called me to be in the church. He showed me all the prophets in the Old Testament and took me to every passage of Scripture, and I studied it thoroughly. He trained me and raised me up. 
to do what I do by miraculous means, and I still didn't see a problem in the faith movement. So I could certainly understand how you love your churches and how you love your pastors and how you can't see there's any problem there. For I did exactly the same thing. In 1979, God gave me a very, very fearful dream. It was terrible. In this dream, destruction was everywhere. It was like bombings had happened all over. I made my way down to the first floor of a hotel. Had to go down by rope because the elevators were destroyed. When I got to the first floor, I went into a room where a man was speaking to a group of people. There was an empty chair. I sat down and began to listen to this man. Another man came in the room and said, Stop! Wait! Can't you see? It's too late. It's already begun. No one in the room paid any attention to what this man said, but I wanted to see what had already begun. So I looked out the window. I saw a terrible thing. There was a tall pole. On top of the pole was a yellow civil defense type speaker, which was used to warn the people. But out of that speaker was coming a white gas, and it was coming directly toward us, who, toward that room. And it was poisonous. It was so shocking because the very thing that was set there to warn us was being used to kill us. I looked at the man who was seated next to me. He had a big smile on his face and he was staring directly at the man who was speaking. But then I saw this man was dead. He was a corpse. I looked around the room and everyone in the room were already dead. And as I sat there among them, I felt myself falling asleep. And I knew the gas coming from the speaker was killing me also. And then I woke from the dream. The prophet Daniel had a very terrifying dream, and he didn't know what it meant. He prayed to God, and God sent an angel to explain it to Daniel. But the angel was held up by Satan and Daniel had to wait for the dream to be interpreted. I can't say that's my case, but it reminds me of how upset Daniel was because I was upset by that dream, very upset. But I didn't know what it meant. Today it's obvious what it means and some of you probably already know the meaning of the dream. But I didn't know. That was 1979. 
It wasn't until 1982 that that dream was made clear to me. In the meantime, in 1980, January 10th, 1980, in the night, while I was sleeping, a voice spoke three words into my ear. It was very loud, like a trumpet blowing in my ear. I believe it was an angel of God speaking to me. The words being spoken to me were Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I jumped out of bed and wrote KWJS on a notepad beside my bed. I didn't want to get those letters mixed up because I was pretty sure they had to be call letters to either radio or television. That morning, I looked it up and found KWJS as a radio station in Arlington, Texas. I said to God, are you telling me to go on radio? I wouldn't know how to do that. The Holy Spirit brought a thought immediately to my mind to tell me how to do that. The thought was, call the radio station manager. That same morning, I called the radio station manager and told him God might be leading me to go on radio. How would you do that? He said, make an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long and send it to us, and if you fit our broadcasting, we'll offer you a contract. That same morning, I got my cassette tape recorder and my kitchen timer so I could make it 29 and a half minutes and began talking and made the tape. I put it in the mail that same day to radio station KWJS. Please excuse the dog. He seemed to decide to bark. Anyway, I mailed the cassette to radio station KWJS. And within five days or so, I was broadcasting exhortations for the church on KWJS. I was still attending Word of Faith. The messages that I had for the church were things that, like taking thoughts captive and healing the wounded believer and dealing with destructive thoughts. The messages were very popular in the faith movement. All around the United States, my meetings were growing. I went into the different cities where I was on radio, and by that time I was on radio from coast to coast, from New York City to Seattle, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and various places in between. And hundreds of people were coming to my meetings. I went in there and would have two or three-day meetings for the radio audience on an East Coast a coast tour, a Central tour, a West Coast tour, in 1982, I was at Seattle at a meeting, and as I returned to Dallas, where I lived, I heard from the Holy Spirit. It was very exciting. The word that I heard was, the foundation is now laid. Now we are really going to move. Well, I was already having 800 to maybe eight or 900 people 
attend each of the meetings. Some, well, more than that in Pittsburgh. There were closer to 1,500. So it had already grown enormously. And I was very popular. That was going to change rather quickly. God's idea of now we're really going to move and my idea of now we're really going to move were not the same thing. I had a, some little church in Hobbs, New Mexico had invited me to speak. I had flown out there to Hobbs and spoke at that church and on the way back to Dallas, I began hearing a word from the Holy Spirit that was going to change everything. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. I didn't know what that might mean. But soon I was to find out. God began opening my eyes to see sins being committed by big-time ministers. One was Jimmy Swigert. Jimmy Swigert's former advertising agent told me that Swigert used to be with them, with the Michael Ellison Advertising Agency, and that Swigert got tired of having little meetings of about 500 people. So he came and enrolled in their agency. They told him, cut back on the preaching and increase the music. Swigert was a country western singer. So he did, and crowds really began to come to his meetings to hear him sing. It can be so cloaked, we don't even know it's wrong to do certain things. Marilyn Hickey told me how to be able to ship all of my books and tapes all over the United States without charge. I had picked Marilyn up at the airport in Dallas to take her to the hotel where she was having a meeting. Marilyn said, what you do is this. They were still doing curbside check-in at that time. Drive up to the curbside check-in and get out and let the porter see that you have a large wad of bills in your hand and ask him to check your boxes of books through for you. And then you give him the tip and you don't have to pay anything. I didn't see that that was wrong when Marilyn told me that. It was much later that I saw it was wrong. Sometimes we can be so involved in our own things that we miss all the other things that are going on around us until 
God opens our eyes. Well, when God showed me what Swaggart had done and opened my eyes, I knew I had to try to get a message to Jimmy Swaggart, telling him, stop this entertaining and go back to preaching. But I couldn't get a message to him. I was fairly well known at that time, but I couldn't get a message to him. Every time I tried to send something, I knew they had destroyed it. The people who were responsible for uh, scanning his mail. Even though I identified it as a letter from a prophet to Swagger, I couldn't get it to him. I had the same problem with Jim Baker. I had been told by God to send him a message on the subject of adultery. That was about 1982. So I recorded a cassette tape on the subject of adultery and sent it to Jim Baker. My office letterhead and the ministry I work under is Jesus Ministries. So at the top of the letter, it said Jesus Ministries, and I said this is from a prophet of God to Jim Baker. I received a letter back from Jim Baker saying, Dear Jesus, thank you for your inspiring message. Jesus I want you to know that Tammy Faye and I prayed for you today. Signed, Jim Baker. It was sad, hilarious, everything. Of course, it was just fraud. I mean, he obviously didn't send the letter. He never got the tape recording. He didn't send the letter, even though it looked like he sent the letter, and it was a personal signature It wasn't from Jim Baker. In approximately 1988, Jim Baker was taken to prison for fraud. He was also at that time committing adultery with Jessica Hahn, a church secretary who went on to be famous in Playboy magazine. This is horrible stuff for ministries. Well, rightly so, God said, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. I still didn't see anything disturbing in the faith movement. I was one of their teachers, one of their people, one of them. Never missed church when I was in town. In 1982, on a Wednesday night, I went to a church service at Word of Faith. I sat down and glanced over at the man who was seated next to me, and I was horrified. He was the man in the poison gas stream of 1979. I looked around the rest of the people, and they seemed to me to be the people in the poison gas stream who were all dead, poisoned by gas from the speaker. I got up and went to the ladies' room and was praying. I said, God, I think you're showing me to leave this church. 
I'm going to leave now. And I'm going to go get in my car and drive away. But if you want me to come back, I'll turn around and come back. Well, God did not want me to come back. I left, as it turned out, permanently. After that, God opened my eyes to the problems. See, we can sit in the churches and we don't see a thing until God decides to bring us out and then something happens and we're brought out. Looking back on that poison gas dream, it's obvious. The very thing set there to protect us was being the thing used to kill us. I didn't care for the prosperity messages that Bob was speaking. It wasn't my thing. Lots of people did, but it wasn't my thing. But I would occupy myself as he spoke by just taking the scriptures down that he spoke, and then I would go home during the between services and study those scriptures. But I wasn't trying to become prosperous. So it just didn't seem to pertain to me. I liked our Bible class because at the Bible class, the man teaching it always said, does anyone have a word from the Lord? He opened the class up for the movement of the Holy Spirit. If any of us had heard anything from God, we were free to share it. I had often received word of knowledge especially in physical problems such as stomach problems. And we would pray, I would give the word of knowledge, we'd pray over the people, things like that. But I always had words of knowledge. One time the teacher asked me to speak at his nighttime class and I had 24 words of knowledge while they were having their song service. There were so many I I had to grab a pencil and start jotting them down. I don't think I ever spoke anything except go over the words of knowledge. But he opened the door for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is rarely allowed to speak in a church service. It's all pre-planned. But this Bible teacher always said, does anyone have a word from the Lord? And we were all free to share what the Holy Spirit would have shown us. It was very exciting, and I liked it. But as far as the 11 o'clock service, I went to it, but I really didn't like going. There was a lot of singing and a lot of jumping up and down and during singing and clapping their hands, and there was a lot of, during the actual preaching, it just, a few of the scriptures appealed to me, related to me, but overall I didn't like the service. But I kept going. I kept going because that's what you're supposed to do. Go to church. That's what you're supposed to do. So I did it. But with the poison gas stream, I was brought out of that church. After I was brought out, I saw what was wrong. God let me see it. We were taught to stand on scripture. We were taught to pray scripture. We were taught, Bob even taught, if you want a new red pickup, 
take a picture of the red pickup, put it on your refrigerator door, see it constantly, keep it before you, and the time will come when you will figure out a way to get that pickup. I didn't do that, but one thing I did do, which is awfully close to this, God had illuminated Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 to me, and I did this all the time. In verse 5, God said to Joshua, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. That sentence burned through me, and I knew that was going to be the case with me. God was getting ready to send Joshua into the promised land to take the land and divide it up among the children of Israel. God said, As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Unknown to me, God was going to send me to the church to prepare the church for the return of Jesus, just as they did with John the Baptist in the first coming of Jesus, the prophets today who are appointed by God are preparing the church for the return of Jesus. That is our role. We bring messages to help you get free, especially from false doctrine, to break down the idols that the churches have set up. This is our job. So God says, as I will be, as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Even in those early years, this meant something to me. I knew it was a promise to me also. He's, God says, be strong and of good courage, because you're going to need it. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Well, if you know anything about prophets, you know they bring messages to the rulers, the kings, who are now the pastors. They bring messages to the leaders of the church, and they bring messages to individuals in the church. I was visiting with a couple of Baptist women several years ago. One woman began telling me about the new building their pastor was getting ready to build. And she then began telling me with a woman in their about a woman who attended their church. And she said, she's against the pastor and the building and everything. What do you think might be wrong with this woman? Out of my mouth, without any thought, came these words. Maybe she's a prophet. Prophets frequently see the problems that are being done in the churches. So in Joshua 1.8, God says to Joshua, Be strong and of a good courage. And I say, if you're a prophet, you need it, need it. For you're going to be seeing things that are wrong, and you have to tell the pastors and the church these things that are wrong, and they will run you out when you do that. I've many times delivered messages to pastors concerning wrong things that they have been teaching in their services. I've never seen a pastor repent. Why? Because Antichrist is in the churches today. They moved scripture out and took over and set up other doctrines.
But that had to happen before Jesus can return, according to Paul in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. For he says, Let no man deceive you, for the day of the Lord will not come, except there come a falling away first. The falling away was going to be churches falling away from Scripture and setting up other doctrines. And when that happens, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, is then revealed. He's revealed by the falling away, and the church is taken over by Antichrist. That's happening all over today. The stage is set right now for the return of Jesus. The one thing that had to happen before Jesus returns is that. We don't know when Jesus will return, but he could come at any time. And when he comes, he's going to raise the dead. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then those left on the earth who are really in Christ living according to the scriptures. I'm not saying the ones in churches, the ones in Christ, in the word of God. He's going to remove them before the great tribulation. The rest are going to get to stay on the earth to go through the great tribulation. We do not want to be one of those. But those who follow God, follow the scriptures, honor the scriptures. That's very important. You cannot honor your church above the scripture you just can't do it if the church is doing something wrong you have to come out i've done it many times so you're not any different than i am you can't stay there so god says to joshua only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Now, we don't do the law of Moses today, but we certainly do the rules set forth in the New Testament Bible. There are many rules set forth in the New Testament Bible that people who are church people are violating and churches in mass are violating. And we're responsible for the rules set forth in the New Testament Bible. These are the laws of God, the commandments of the Lord for the New Testament church. God says, Turn not from it to the right hand or the left, that thou may prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law, now here's the verse I focused on. This book of the law, the New Testament for us, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. And that is what I lived by. All the years I attended Word of Faith, this is the scripture I was living by. I would take the verses of scripture that Bob quoted from the pulpit. And I would take them home and meditate in those verses day and night between services. I always listed all scriptures quoted at church. When the poison gas stream came, I left that church. Now, what was wrong at that church with that movement? We were taught 
to search the scriptures and pray the scriptures, what was wrong? Well, the difference between me and them is that it was the Holy Spirit drawing my attention to the scriptures. And I would take that scripture and meditate on it day and night. I was being led by the Spirit of God. Now, I was copying the scriptures down that Bob spoke, and I would take them home and read them, and sometimes there would be a scripture which the Holy Spirit would catch my attention on, and I would meditate on it. But most of the time, I was reading the Bible, and a scripture would sort of jump out at me. I'd be kind of hung up on the scripture and not want to go forward, and I'd go back and study that scripture because I knew that was a message to me personally from God. I would work on that scripture day and night, thinking about it, allowing it to lead me, structuring my life by that scripture. And that's what God taught me to do. And that's Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. But that's not what the majority of people at Word of Faith were doing, I found out later. They wanted something, and they were hunting the scripture to allow them to get what they wanted. They were praying that scripture every day to get whatever it was they were wanting, and they were claiming it. Now, I did that too. I wanted to marry. That was the only desire I had that I know of, and that is to marry. And after I I was taken into heaven twice and merged into the body of Jesus as a new Christian and made one with the Word of God, with God and the Holy Spirit witnessing, Twice, two different nights that happened to me in the night. And I was on fire for the word of God. I didn't know what it meant, but I thought maybe I would marry a minister. And that was my real desire. I never had any thought whatsoever toward being a minister. I thought maybe I would marry one. And I really wanted that kind of life where I was in the background supporting the minister. And that's what my greatest desire was. I found a scripture to claim. I claimed it over myself. Isaiah thirty-four sixteen. there's a scripture which says, None shall want her mate. I prayed that over myself. I wrote it in a little Bible, which I used at the in the front of the Bible. I wrote that scripture. I claimed it every day. By faith, I in that scripture, I was praying to for this to happen to me. My prayer group prayed that I would marry. My best friend prayed that I would marry. We all agreed in prayer that I would marry. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus says, Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. We knew that scripture. We agreed that I would marry. We prayed that I would marry. So what happened? I did not marry. What happened? What went wrong? 
one thing. We left out one thing. Is it the will of God for Joan? And the answer was no. One woman touched upon it one time at a prayer group. She said, of course Joan will marry, unless, of course, it's not the will of God. And we, they kind of laughed because everybody assumed it was the will of God and everybody wanted it to be the will of God. But it was, she had the truth. And even my best friend had the truth. She heard from God. Like in the case of Paul, my grace is sufficient for her. She quit praying for me to marry. But of course, I didn't want to hear any of that. She told me, but I didn't want to hear it. It took years before I gave up on this subject. And I went through severe depression at the time because my prayer wasn't being answered. And we were calling it satanic attacks. This was back when I owned my business, which is in American Indian Arts. And I would just become so depressed and sad. Some of the people thought it was in the Indian artwork, the little designs on the pottery and the jewelry, that they were causing these attacks. My bookkeeper was married to a man who was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. So I called Walt, and he came and talked to me. And he convinced me it was not in the artwork. I was ready to destroy all of my merchandise. That was my living. That's how I lived from the standpoint of financially. My whole income came from that business back in the 70s. But I was ready to destroy every bit of it. But Walt convinced me that there's not any power in art objects. And I wasn't worshiping art objects. So I believed Walt. That wasn't the problem. Here's the problem. Here was the problem. I wanted to marry and I wasn't getting what I wanted. That was the opening for the satanic attacks. That was the opening for the depression. There's a scripture which says in James chapter 1, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Well, before I could be killed or kill myself, God showed me the truth. The truth was I was allowing destructive thoughts to eat me alive. When the prayer group prayed for me, I got all right. Sometimes I would just go home in those periods. I would go home and just get in bed and hold on to the mattress and say, Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my salvation. And the heaviness would lift. We just didn't know anything. 
We didn't know how to stand against destructive thoughts or take thoughts captive. We didn't know those things at that time. God used this to begin teaching me how to do it. And I wrote, have written several books on this subject of taking thoughts captive and uh, dealing with destructive thoughts. Uh, those are published by Amazon. So anyway, this was the setting that I was in in that period of time. And after all of these things happened to me and I left Word of Faith and I saw that I was different from the people there and our Bible teacher said I was different. He said, you were never like us. You were never like us. And I said, I wasn't. I thought I was like, like everybody else. He said, no. He said, the difference was we preached faith, but you lived faith. You lived it. And he said, I always saw it about you. Well, after that, I had to speak about the danger of following your own desires with Scripture, that you have to instead seek the will of God for your life and accept it. In 1 John chapter 5, we are told how to get our prayers answered. And this is the confidence that we have in God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. I was praying for a husband, but that was not going to happen because it was not the will of God for me. He was going to use me in another way with the church. When I gave up my own desire and agreed, whatever you want to do is fine, then we really moved forward. But I had things I had to do. I couldn't get a message to Jimmy Swaggart, so God convinced me to give the message on my own radio broadcast. I had seen a scripture where Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did uh, me much harm. Beware of him. Beware of him. I saw that it was proper to name a person by name and tell what he had done. That gave me the courage to do this. Therefore, the message I could not get to Jimmy Swaggart because his own people kept it from getting to him, I gave that message on my radio broadcasts, which were, at that time, from coast to coast in the United States. Hate mail just poured in. We got huge volumes of hate mail from Swaggart followers technically from the people who idolize Swaggart because they make these ministers into idols. These ministers set themselves up as idols. It's just like Hollywood. The movie star wants to become famous and then the movie star has to put bodyguards around her to keep the people from getting to her. It's the same principle in ministry, exactly the same. 
I had to give these messages on my radio broadcast and in my public meetings. Hate mail poured in. Radio stations threatened me. One station manager in Seattle was waiting for me at the meeting room, and he said, Joan, you have many fine messages, many good messages. Just speak those messages. But if you keep speaking these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We may have to put you off the air. The Holy Spirit rose up in me to say to George, George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message and I may as well be off the air. And that defined a future for me. There is a message that God wants us to speak at a given point of time. Even with this message about the faith movement, I shifted it to an earlier date because I felt God wanted me to speak it as quickly as I possibly could schedule it on the podcast. I know there is a message for a point in time. You can have many good messages, but you must speak the message that God wants spoken at that exact moment for it to be an effective message. And I've learned to do that. When I'm going to meet someone, I never prepare anything in advance. I just pray for God to have me speak to that person anything he wants spoken. And I pray for God to stop me from speaking anything that he doesn't want spoken. Therefore, I go in complete peace and visit with the person, and anything called to my memory by the Holy Spirit I share, whether it's a scripture or a concept. When I come away from speaking with a person, I frequently will have the thoughts come, you shouldn't have said that. But I always know to rest in the concept that I prayed in faith before I met with that person for God to give me what he wanted me to speak and to remove from me anything he didn't want spoken. And I have faith that that happened. Therefore, I know that other thought is an attack from a devil to try to stop me. Well, this is a situation I found with the faith movement. We have to seek the will of God for our lives. We can't just go out and seek what we want. We can't claim scripture over what we want. We have to stand on scripture on what God has shown us to do. For example, there are two scriptures that I have gone back to and stood on a great many times, and these scriptures lead me constantly. One's in Hebrews 3, the other's in Hebrews 10. In Hebrews 3, there's a scripture that says, Exhort one another daily while it is today, lest anyone be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. 
The other scripture in Hebrews 10, 25 says, Exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day of the Lord approaching, exhort them even more. Exhort means to warn them, to urge earnestly by advice and warning. And that's what I do constantly. And God has given me a spiritual gift of exhortation, which is shown us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, along with the other spiritual gifts. I have a spiritual gift of exhortation to warn you, to advise you. I am also an apostle prophet. Apostles deal with scripture, comparing scripture with scripture and working with doctrines that are being presented in churches. Prophets give messages of warning. That's their job, is constant. Corrections and messages of warning. Helping people get out of traps and stay out of traps. Hosea chapter 12, verse 13, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. I know in some of the churches today, they are teaching, there are no apostles and prophets. So we'll close with one scripture which proves, should prove to us that there are apostles and prophets in the New Testament church today, appointed by Jesus for the church, to help the church. Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 8, when Jesus ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 11, and he, Jesus, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I don't know why the churches thought that they could put out apostles and prophets, but many of them did. They, they kept evangelists, pastors, teachers makes no sense whatsoever that they would think that there aren't apostles and prophets today. Some churches teach that Paul was the last apostle. But Paul wasn't even the twelfth apostle. Matthias was the apostle that was selected to take the place of Judas in Acts chapter 1. Paul was persecuting the church at that time. Paul was not even in the church until after Jesus was crucified and arose. Paul is actually one of these apostles that was given after Jesus arose. Paul is one of the examples of the apostle of Ephesians chapter 4. After Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to the church. He gave some apostles. Well, on the road to Damascus, Paul was out there to kill Christians, to capture and kill Christians. When Jesus appeared to him in a vision, Jesus had already been crucified. Crucified. He already had arisen when he appointed Paul as a minister. Paul can't possibly be one of the last apostles. He's one of the first of the New Testament apostles of Ephesians chapter 4. I do need to tell you one more thing before I close. In 1982, I had a dream 
which changed everything for me. Dreams can do that. In this dream, two football teams were playing. North Texas was playing Texas. Well, that's a shocking comparison. Texas University, a great powerhouse, was playing North Texas, who couldn't even begin to line up against Texas University. There was a running back in the dream who had played once for Texas and now was playing against North Texas, for North Texas. They were lined up and the ball was about to be snapped. They were on their own goal line, North Texas was, and they were going to hand that running that ball off to that running back. Well, those Texas defenders were going to crush him when he got the ball. And I heard, don't go until you see Exodus 15. And I knew I was the person that was in danger. And from whom was I in danger? The churches. <laughs> I was out there in public having meetings for my radio audiences while at the same time I was saying, telling what Baker had done, what Swaggart had done, what other big-time ministers had done. On the radio broadcast, I was telling this. And hate mail was pouring in from the followers who worshipped Swaggart and Baker. This was before the sins of Swaggart and Baker were revealed to all. This was 1982, and in 88-89-90, it was made public to all what Swaggart and Baker were doing. But at that time, no one knew, or maybe someone knew, but they were having huge worshiping services, worshiping them, the ministers. And I was on radio telling of the sins of those ministers, naming them by name. I was in great danger from the church people. Jesus said in um, John chapter 16, verse 2, he warned his disciples, he said, the time will come that those who could kill you will think they do God's service. I knew I was that running back that was about to be killed because I'd been one of the people coming up and leading in the faith movement and had switched teams. <laughs> so I canceled all meetings scheduled for 1982. My calendar for 82 was completely filled at the time I had this dream. I canceled everything. One of the women who worked in our ministry at that time said, Joan, you cannot cancel these meetings. If you go out there, they will give money, and if you don't go, you will lose money. And I said, I'm not going. God told me don't go, and I'm not going, and I didn't go. One of the greatest evils in the faith movement is the evil of wanting to be as gods. Wanting to be God. Trying to decide what you want and going to the scriptures to find a scripture to claim over what you want to get that particular thing for your life. Instead of turning to God with not my will but thy will be done and depending on God. And that is the big pulling device in the faith movement is to learn how to be as God.
Well, with this, I'll conclude today's broadcast, but I will tell you that every scripture that I have quoted today is printed on our blog, so you can get that scripture in writing. Jesus Ministries Exhortations is our blog. On the right-hand side, it says podcast. You can click on podcast, hear this broadcast again if you want to, or you can see the scriptures without hearing the broadcast. I often read the scriptures without hearing the broadcast. Jesus Ministries Exhortations is the name of our blog. Thank you for letting me speak with you today.